This week's podcast is sponsored by Direction. Welcome, everyone, to the Investing with IBD podcast. It is March 22nd, 2023, Wednesday. Uh, we'll be taping today and dropping tomorrow on Thursday, as usual. It's Justin Nielsen, your host. I am Joining me, as he always does, is Arusha Pierce. He is an O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager. How are you doing, Arusha? Looks like you're not the worst for wear on a Fed day. Yeah, you, you know, it's it, it's always interesting these Fed days, and uh, it, it might look like we... Uh, might be a little bit more uh, waiting around and, and and testing our patients, you know. Like, yes, uh, exactly. Those markets. <laughs> patience has been the name of the game for a while That's here. Right. So uh, we'll also be hearing this week from our special guest. Uh, Ryan Warch is joining us again. He's a hedge fund manager uh, for Warch Capital. How are you doing, Ryan? Good, guys. How are you? You know, always good, good. exciting to come live on Fed Day. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> All sorts of fun, you know. So you you, you probably plan that uh, ahead of time, right? Oh, you know what? Let me choose this day of all days, <laughs> and an important one because we've been having a lot of uh, situations with banks, and so this was kind of uh, a big one where people were wondering how the Fed was going to handle it. So we'll get into that. But before we do, I want to give a quick disclaimer: um, the information provided by Ryan as an investment advisor regarding stocks is for educational and informational purposes only. It should not be construed as personalized investment advice and is not a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any particular security or investment strategy. Did I do that okay, Ryan? Nailed it. Okay, perfect. You know, now we can move on with the legalese uh, off, off uh, to the races. Uh, let's start. Where do you want to start? Do you prefer, when you look at the market, do you look at the S&P 500 as your, as your go-to, or the leader lately has been the NASDAQ composite. Where do you want to start, Brian? Well, I mean, typically I, I focus on really three main indices, the NASDAQ, the S&P, and the Russell. We could probably pull up um, the NASDAQ and kind of look at that first. But there's really a common theme throughout all of this. And, and really what it all leads to is just a lot of distractions, a lot of noise with a lot of volatility. It's just it's one choppy, sloppy mess, quite frankly. And, and it's interesting going through the charts today is if you look at the NASDAQ, it's above the 200. The S&P is dead on the 200 and the Russell is below it. So you have no real um, conviction in direction. Um, so th that's what makes this market very confusing. I'm sure it's hard for people that are trying to um, buy it, whether they're trend following or not buying any sort of strength. This market has been extremely hard. Um, so you, you mentioned it in the opening. I mean, I think patience has been the best thing. Um, you don't have to rush out and do anything. You know, being a fund manager, you know, I, I manage other people's capital. The biggest thing that I have to focus on is preservation of capital. And right now, there's really no edge, I think, in the market from a directional standpoint. Um, you know, there are some areas if we're looking at the NASDAQ right here. You know, I, I think if you look at it, it it's really gone nowhere for for the last you know two months but even if you back up further which is you know kind of crazy to think about the nasdaq is essentially at the same price it was in august of 2020. oh wow which, oh yeah let's go to the weekly <laughs> let's, let's take that step back right yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, look at that, at that. it has yeah. gone absolutely nowhere now it had the big overshoot as we ran up in late 2020 and 21 and then we had the bear market of 22 but price has not progressed in, you know, what, over two years? 
Since you, if you pull up the S&P, it's very similar. It hasn't gone anywhere since I think it's February of um, 21. Right. Very, very similar. So mm -hmm. while there have been moves outside of the range, we're basically back to where we were two years ago. Um, so it, it's been this year specifically, you know, last year was obviously hard, but last year, you know, if you were a, a true believer in CanSlam and you followed trends and, and technical analysis, last year I think was actually easier, quite frankly. Yeah. Because yeah. it was a one-way train down. Mm -hmm. If you sidestepped it and you, you listened to some indicators and you followed your rules, you probably sidestepped most of it. And that's what we were able to do, you know. The markets were down between 20 and 35%. And I was down barely, almost flat for the year. Mm -hmm. This year's completely different. You know, the markets, the NASDAQ is clearly outperforming. Um, but it's been very hard to catch any sort of trend and momentum in a market. So mm -hmm. it, it's, again, I think the market's in limbo right here. And I think lots of cash, um, lots of doing nothing. Lots of patience and sitting and watching and just waiting for the trends to kind of evolve is the best best um, idea I can I can give. Yeah, you know I kind of feel like it's it's really been since that October low that things were kind of a little uh, tougher, I guess, because that October low we saw such a strong move from the Dow Jones Industrial Average, not an index that we normally pay as much attention to because it's only thirty stocks, but. Um, you know, that was that was kind of the leader off the bottom. And so there was kind of like, hey, there are things that are working here and and in a big way. Uh, but it, it just the, the breadth wasn't there. It was very select. And then January saw such a quick shift to, to growth, which normally we would love. But even that seemed a little bit short. Right. Uh, all the trends seem short. And it seems like it's very tough to get uh, much traction before sector rotation and and everything starts starts falling the other way yeah no i i agree so where it really changed for me is i, I do a weekly call with a bunch of other hedge fund managers and we all kind of talk about these things and that's the beauty of the market right it, it, it's, it's constantly changing there's new information daily um and it's just it's basically a giant puzzle that's never solved right and you're always trying to update your your models with new information so where it changed for me was we had a, a momentum breath uh, thrust signal on January 12th. And to me, that said, okay, well, I think I'm going to start taking a little bit more risk because if you look at those signals in the past, they lead to strong returns three, six, 12 months out. And that's what we're looking for. Um, and during that time, you saw a breath kind of explode across, across the spectrum from economically sensitive to, um, to high growth to, um, it was kind of all over the map. Everything was um, coming along for the ride. Then things kind of started to change in early February and obviously here in March um, where we've rolled over. And what's interesting, if you look at these breath thrusts, um, there's some real interesting stats about them. You know, the average pullback after three months is about five and a half percent. We are this is from peak to trough within the move. We're at a 9.2% drawdown. So oh, wow. Uh, on the NASDAQ? Uh, this is on the S&P. On the S&P, okay. This is where the data goes back further. Um, okay. You know, the, the max draw, it's getting closer to that max drawdown. So we really haven't had any progress. The closing price on the S&P 
on January 12th, 3983. I mean, really, we've gone basically nowhere since then. And the big thing that I've noticed since then is breath is completely deteriorating. So if you look at the percentage of stocks above their 50-day on any of the indices, NASDAQ, S&P, um, Russell, the Russell's obviously the weakest, S&P's middle, the, the NASDAQ is the strongest. But look at those breath metrics, call it you know a month ago or the beginning of February. You had, you had close to 80% of stocks trading above their 50-day moving averages. Now on the, the NASDAQ, 26%. I think the S&P's 18% and the Russell 2000 is worse. So you know, breath has just falling off a cliff. Um, and, and that leads to, you know, this market is extremely narrow. Even though the NASDAQ has held up well, if you if you had to break it down, it's only in probably a handful of stocks. It seems like money is just rotating into the biggest of the best, which is Apple and NVIDIA and Microsoft. It seems like money's kind of hiding out in these big cap, massive cash flow, big balance sheet names that may be safe havens in the event that this financial crisis continues. That's what it seems to me. But um, overall, it's extremely narrow. And, and that's why it's, it's, it's really a bifurcated market, quite frankly. I mean, you have strength in, in NASDAQ related and growthy type stocks, even though it's very narrow, but then you have absolute weakness in any, you know, financials, retail, energy, oil, biotech, real estate. Um, and then on the flip side, you have strength in semis, gold, and then your big cap tech and bonds. Um, so it, it really, there's some conflicting signals because, you know, today, Fed Day, markets sold off extremely hard, finished on their lows. Ten years sold off hard. So what, what is that telling you? That's telling you money's kind of preparing for a slowdown, recession, whatever it may be. But on the flip side of that, what's kind of contradicting that is why are semis so strong? If we're going into a slowdown, you know, semis are extremely cyclical. Why are they strong? So, again, what I let off with, I think he's exactly right. It's a lot of noise, a lot of distraction, and a whole lot of just nothing where the market just kind of remains in the state of limbo. So, Ryan, getting back to the breadth thrust where you we had the signal – and then it started to kind of diverge from what was expected with the, the market being strong three to six months from now. Um, are there any other examples where they start getting down to that lower end of the range, 9% off the highs for the S&P 500? Uh, any other kind of other years that followed this type of scenario we're seeing right now? There's a handful of them. I think in the early 80s, 82, okay. uh, one specific one, was uh, 62, which is just fairly similar to kind of right now. 62 was the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, uh, now I, was saying, just, I was just thinking about that. I'm not saying we're going into a Cuban Missile Crisis, but we're having a crisis right now for sure. And yeah. it's a financial crisis, yep. which could be systemic. We don't know yet, right? It's too early to tell, um, but there, there's a similar analog to, to that time period and now. And I think that had you know a 15% drop peak to trough Roughly, um, I you know what I do a lot is I look at current patterns and I go and look at prior time periods and try and compare and see what is the closest analog. So while we got that breath thrust, you know I love knowing that that leads to strong returns. But what happens if it doesn't? So a, a, another interesting stat at the same time 
I don't know if you guys saw, but this is since 1950. After we went through a bear market of defined as a 20% drop, if the S&P got above the 200 day for a month after the bear market, it never went back to new lows. Yes. I so again, that. that with the breadth thrust changed the character of the market for me. So I right. said, okay, I'm willing to take more risk now. Mm -hmm. It hasn't paid off, right? The market has kind of rolled over again. But I once I saw that stat, I started doing my own research. If you look at it prior to 1950, there was a handful of times where the market got above the 200 for a month and rolled back over. And I've been, you know, hammering this time period with, with my group I talk with every week for, for probably about the last six months. I still think this is like 1946 to 49. Mm -hmm. So and watch that. Well, you had you have a lot of similarities, not only in price patterns, but if if you look at that time period, it's very similar fiscal and monetary conditions, very similar inf inflation influences. It had much higher actually inflation. This was coming out of World War II. Mm -hmm. uh, we had 20% inflation then, wow. um, but we had a lot of things line up, not just price related, fiscally related, monetary related, inflationary related, very similar. And what happened in that time period is essentially the market went nowhere for two and a half years. It had these massive volatility spikes up and down, but the low was made in 1946 after 25% bear market. It retested that exact low in 1949. No way. Yep. If you look at it, it and so listen, I make the most money when we have a sustainable trend in either direction. Mm -hmm. I really hope we don't get into that period, but I have to know that that is a possibility. That is a scenario that could be played out and it has happened in the past. So, you know, again, I don't make money predicting what the market is going to do because quite frankly, nobody has any idea. Right. I make money being reactionary. Um, why this market remains so hard is being reactionary. You pretty much lost money because if you've chased any sort of strength, you're mm -hmm. probably, if you have any sort of risk management, you're probably getting stopped out within a day or a week or you know a few weeks very yeah. quickly at a loss. Um, so I, you know that as a hedge fund manager, those are the things that we have to use. You know, from a discretionary basis and the experience. I've been doing this for. 23 years now is why have I not taken a whole lot of risk this year? It's because I, quite frankly, it hasn't paid to take any. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to get into some stocks later. Um, but, you know, if you just chase every breakout for the sake of breakouts, you have to keep it in perspective of where are the markets? Are they rewarding that type of strength? And I would say this year, and quite frankly, for the probably last year and a half, they haven't. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's it's important to kind of just realize, again, what's what's working and what's not. And uh, you have to play with different rules in, in different markets. You know, there's always that sense of, look, in a bear market, you know, not being so aggressive. Um, I, I wanted to kind of get back to something, though. Uh, there, there, there's there's some technical parts that you've been mentioning, you know, talking about the 1949 coming to the 1945 lows, but there's also this macroeconomic component that you've been, you know, talking about the fiscal policy, inflation. Um, what's what's kind of your breakdown? How much how much do you rely on the technicals, that market breadth thrust, uh, those type of things, versus uh, what's what's going out uh, going on on the macro picture? So I'm, I'm not, I don't trade based off the macro, but I think you have to know it, right? You have to, 
you have to know where you are in the cycle. I think that certainly helps. Um, when I'm deciding how much risk to put put in the market, I, I would say most of it is, you know, it breaks out between a combination of, of fundamentals and technicals. I think the number one um, indicator for me is, can I make money? I mean, it's my own PL. My own yeah. PL tells me if this is a good market or not. You know, it's, you know, I'm a big fan of the KISS principle, right? Keep it simple, stupid. And <laughs> I, I truly believe that. You know, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm testing the waters by putting out some positions and they're immediately getting kicked out, I'm saying, whoa, let's back off a little bit. Let's, let's just kind of let this play out. Let's be patient. And it's been extremely hard this year because you've had this kind of move up in historically the sectors that I make money in growth. You know, the NASDAQ has outperformed. But I'm, I'm underperforming just for the simple reason. I haven't put on a whole lot of exposure. And when I have put on exposure, it's really, I've been stopped out fairly quickly. Yeah. So yeah. I'm willing to kind of just sit and be patient. Mm-hmm. And I would yeah, say that's in the market the right there, right? You're listening to the market and you're also realizing you're not in sync with the market. Something's off, you're, you're, but you're not in sync with the market. And, and at that point, you, you don't want to push it. Yeah, 100%. Listen, I... I truly believe nobody can consistently time the market with accuracy, right? But if you listen to the message of the market and you follow mm-hmm. a process in your indicators, you know, I, that's how I address, adjust my risk levels and my exposures accordingly. You know, just yeah. because the market may be on a buy signal doesn't mean I'm 110% long. Right. You know, I, I, I have to be in sync with what is working. And I truly believe you don't have to be in the market 100% of the time. Um, cash is a position, um, you know, you're, you're going to get a lot of people and you'll see it all through Twitter when people talk about, well, if you miss the 10, 20 best days in the market, you're going to underperform drastically versus just, if you just buy and held the whole time, that stuff is completely wrong because if you look at the same statistical analysis or the same uh, stats, if you miss the worst 20 some days in the market, you wildly outperform. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's really Wall Street loves selling and, and they do it very, very well, um, but they they manage the data completely different to 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 attract an audience. Right. Mm-hmm. So my, my job as a risk manager, first and foremost, I have clients that trust me with their their wealth and they don't want to lose it. Um, mm-hmm. So I can be patient and sit and wait for my opportunities. And when I don't have that fat pitch, I'm not going to swing at it. Yeah. No, makes total sense. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what you were seeing in the technical picture uh, for some of the stocks and how that kind of helps you avoid some of these crises. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Apple, sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. And welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen, your host, along with Arusha Pierce, who joins me every week. He's a portfolio manager over at O'Neill Global Advisors. And our special guest this week, it's Ryan Warch. He is a hedge fund manager at Warch Capital. So, Ryan, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, how how tricky this has been. And certainly one of the things that's on a lot of people's minds is the the bank crisis. We've saw, seen a number of banks just fail outright. And it kind of seemed like this came out of nowhere. You know, the, the media was talking about it and it's like uh, everything was fine. The, the, the roses were, were blooming and the birds were chirping. And it's like 
for a lot of people, it's like, this is why you can't trust the stock market because this stuff happens out of nowhere. All the selling is happening behind the scenes and you just don't know as the retail investor that it's happening. Uh, what would be your response to that? Well, you know, it is funny because Silicon Valley Bank really went out of business right in a day and a half. Yeah. But if you actually have any sort of risk management, you would have avoided every one of these bank crises and you probably would have avoided them about a year prior. Right. Mm -hmm. So there was a great quote um, from Walter Diemer who posts on Twitter. He's an, an old technician, but he's, and I, I thought it just summed this up perfectly. It said no stock in an uptrend ever went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Yeah. I mean, if you let's pull up Silicon Valley Bank, Silicon Valley Bank peaked in 2021, basically with the growth stocks. Yep. Most growth stocks peaked sometime in the fourth quarter of 21. Then it undercut and undercut it pretty violently, the 10 and 40 week moving average in January of 22. Over a year ago, it never traded a back above that high, the breakout day week, the whole time. So essentially, it's been in a downtrend for 14 months over a year before it went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. So you sh should have avoided this at all costs. If you had any sort of rules, you would have been out of this stock months and months and months ago. So mm -hmm. risk management is so key. The, the problem that, that I see that happens to even some professionals, but a lot of amateurs, is they create a plan and they have these rules and they don't execute. Yeah. They'll say, oh, I'll sell it when it comes back. Mm -hmm. They hate taking losses. First loss is always your best loss. That's what I say all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, one of our mottos here at Orch Capital is win by not losing. Mm -hmm. so you can yeah. take a lot of small, small losses because you're, you're going to have these big winners that are going to make up for most of your losses. You cannot take large losses because in, in this game, if you don't have any capital to bet with, it's just like in gambling. If you don't have any chips, you're out. You're done. Mm -hmm. You can't bet. So, you know, again, risk management is probably one of my single biggest edges I have over everybody else. Yeah, you know, Ryan, I, I, I think that for, for most people, they have to go through maybe one of these scenarios where they ride a stock down, maybe not to zero, but maybe down 70, 80% to realize the importance of risk management. You know, it's kind of like putting their hand on the stove and things like that. But <laughs> where it's important after that is learn from it, right? That's the, what kind of makes the difference between those who survive for the long term in the markets and not. It's funny you say that because I think we actually touched on this last podcast and I learned that way too. And if you read a lot of the greats, they all had some similar experience. You know, the yeah. best thing that ever happened to me is I, when I first got into this business, I had no idea what I was doing. And I was just buying whatever my bosses told me. Well, I'll never forget Nortel Networks gapped down like 60% on earnings. And I had pretty much my whole account in it. And I lost all my money. Mm -hmm. the best thing that ever happened to me was that loss. But I didn't have a lot of money at the time. It was all the money I had. So it was, it, it, I, I felt the emotional stress of it. Right. And I said, I never want that to happen again. Mm -hmm. And you have to have extreme discipline 
to to execute that. And I think that's just one of my strengths is that you know I I, I have that discipline of taking losses because if you don't, you're wiped out. And I'm at a point now where you know I'm 23 years later, I'm still in the business and. You, you just can't take those type of risks. So you have, you have to say the market is smarter than me. And did, did the market sniff out Silicon Valley Bank going bankrupt? I have no idea. But it told me 14 months ago, I don't want to be long the stock. It's in a downtrend. Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you, you've guys heard the old adage, you know, nothing good happens under the 200 day. It's true. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. just stayed out under the 200 day, you would have saved yourself, well, a lot. Again, you would have gotten out of Silicon Valley Bank, what? Up in the 500s. Yeah, very beginning of 2022. And it went to zero. And it's not like we haven't seen this before. I mean, this has happened. Enron, WorldCom. um, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers. I mean, there's there's tons of them. It happens in every cycle. So, you know, this is why you have to have rules and you have to have risk management. Because, quite frankly, I don't know what's going to go to zero, what's going to go to Mars. I really don't. But if I have rules that I follow... And I stay disciplined to those rules. I'm going to stay out of all of these these nasty periods, no doubt about it. If, if you, and if you go, let's let's go down the list. Let's go to um, Signature Bank. Mm-hmm. Well, be, be, before we move on to that one, I just want to ask you a quick question on on Silicon Valley here or SVB. Um, what what do you say to folks that are like, okay, look, there was this huge opportunity here as this was skating around 200. We had the market make its lows in October. And if you were picking this up around 200, you could have ridden this to 340. I mean, that's, that's a nice gain in a very short period of time. Are you, are you saying we, you know, don't take advantage of those type of opportunities? No, I'll, I'll let the Cowboys take those opportunities (laughs) and I don't want to be a Cowboy because I don't necessarily need to take those type of risks because if you look at that, you know, I could have bought, yeah, you could have made, a decent amount, but there was a handful of stocks that were within spitty distance of their new highs. So if I'm looking for stocks that are holding up stronger relative to the general market, this would not have come up, mm-hmm. right? This is well below all time highs. Look at all the moving averages trending lower. It wasn't above the 40 week. Um, vol- the volume pattern of it was actually bearish. Yeah, and look at all the, the big, down volume. Look at all the red bars, right? You know, that's, that's what I look for. Um, and there's a lot of people, it's a different philosophy. It's a different, um, strategy. You know, they, they'll buy lows. I don't look for lows. I look for stocks around highs. That's what I'm looking for. Again, goes back to what I said, you know, the, the perfect quote, no stock in an uptrend, everyone bankrupt. What defines an uptrend? You want the exact opposite of this. Mm-hmm. You want the 10, the 40 week, whatever you look at, whatever metric you look at. If you look on a daily, you want the 20, the 50, the 200. You want them trending up, not down. That's like as simple as it gets. There you go. There's a daily. Every one of these moving averages was trending down. Now, I guess you could have said, okay, maybe January, you know, what is this? The 50 um, started trending upwards along with the 20. But you're still fighting a long-term downtrend with the 200, severely still sloped lower. And you get right to that 200-day moving average line, and that's that's where you top out. And it is funny if you go back and study all of you know 
the bear markets and then and the classic um, stocks that rolled over in bear markets. It is amazing how many of them will follow the 10 and the 40 week all the way down. And they're not buys at the 10 week, they're shorts. Mm-hmm. And this was a classic example. I mean, you could have shorted us every time it got probably to the 10 and then ultimately the 40 and you would have made a lot of money. Yeah, especially yeah. that last time with the, the Cowboys. <laughs> Right, running right up to on uh, right up to three forty eight right there. It just touched that forty week moving average, and that that was it. Yeah, and it, 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 they act as a barrier, and it's it's very it's the exact opposite in a bull market. They will ride the ten or forty week on the way up, and they they tend to be buys into those pullbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the exact opposite when you get into a bear market. Um, th- those areas become sells, and it's you know. This game is really easy in hindsight. <laughs> like, oh, well, I should have just shorted it at five fifty. And what right? Yeah. You know, but we have to make decisions in real time, so it is completely different. If you go on Twitter, everyone's a genius, right? Because they did this, they did that. Show me somebody that actually has real returns that's been doing this for you know 20, 30, 40 years. Um, those are the guys that have staying power because most likely they have exceptional risk management. Yeah. Even for those people that are doing the the bottom fishing, you know, there are successful people to do it, but they all have those risk management principles. You know, there's got to be something that tells them, okay, rather than doubling down when I'm wrong, I got to know when I've got to cut and run. Um, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, I I tell people all the time, it's like my strategy, if you did the exact opposite of my strategy, you could still make money. How is that possible? Comes down to a couple of things. Position sizing and risk management. That's it. Right. That's it. Because I'm going to lose money, you know, the majority of the time. You know, I probably make money only of a third of my my um, trades. But how am I able to successfully make money and annualize, you know, more than the S&P? It's because I let my winners ride. So right. I, my winners outgame my losers by a factor of three to one. Mm-hmm. So it's it's... You know, if you if you break it down, it's like I said, keep it simple, stupid. It's not that hard. As long as you are able to, to keep your losses small and ride your winners and you have enough winners, you can make money doing this. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Let the math work work for you. Uh, go, do you want to go ahead and bring up a signature uh, signature bank? Uh... Yeah. So, I mean, again, as we go through these, you're going to you're going to see some common themes and characteristics, right? Once they broke down and entered their downtrends, there was absolutely no reason to be long these. And even more importantly, you had ample time to get out. You know, Signature Bank, what peaked in, again, late 21, maybe early 22, and then it undercut the 10 and 40 week in April. So, you know, right in this area, once it undercut, it really never went back above and this one never even got to the 40 week this touched the 10 week all the way down um so i'm not saying like i had the foresight to know i don't think anybody did but if you just had simple rules into risk management you would have gotten out well in advance of all these yeah Mm -hmm. you, you could have sold this in the you know 260 270 280 range this is going to go to zero May not be zero, but you know, if they get bailed out or get bought or morphed into somebody else, 
but you would have saved yourself a lot of heartache. So yeah. common themes, that, again, we can go to the next one. First Republic, that's kind of seems to be the one in, in uh, the news headlines recently. There's a little bit, yeah, I mean, the, at least this was going at a little bit less shallow angle, but still well below the 40-week line for a long time. Yeah, look at that. Peak to 21, broke down in late um, 21, early 22. Once it broke the 40-week, never back above it. Maybe it got back above it slightly at the beginning of this year, but, you know, touched it and rolled over again. If you go to the daily, it'll probably show you a little bit better, you know, the action. Still, no reason to own this. Right, exactly. Yep, exactly. And listen, the stocks overshoot, right? In a bear market, they're going to overshoot the the fifty to two hundred, and in, in a bull market, they're going to they're going to undershoot the fifty, and they'll shake people out. Um, so it's not like the exact number has to hold. You use these as general guidelines, really. And and quite frankly, look at the trend of that. It's down the whole way. It is the the 200 day moving average is trending down, and the 50 f- mostly is trending down. No way. And it's mostly underneath that 200 day for most of this time. Right? Yep. Yep. Exactly. And then again, maybe the poster child for this, other than uh, Silicon Valley, is Silvergate. You know, mm-hmm. I think that was another one that got wrapped up in the crypto craze and went absolutely crazy to the upside, and you know, trades for, for, you know, the dollar stock now. We, we got to adjust the scale real quick yeah. because yeah. <laughs> it yeah. came down so much. <laughs> and, and, and look at that. I mean, same thing once now that's one kind of, you know, jostled around once it broke it back above it down below, but once it ultimately broke it right there, never back, back above yeah. the 40 week. So, you know, again, that was, that was probably a year ago. Um, the common theme in here is why do you want to own stocks in a downtrend? And I don't think you have to. And right. So I'm looking for relative strength, not relative weakness. And mm-hmm. if you want to avoid the next bank crisis, it's as simple as that, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I mean, any if you can crisis. avoid these. I mean, if you can avoid these stocks, right, you've eliminated a lot of the, the, the soul crushing portfolio destroying type of events. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I mean, it's, you know, to a large degree, this was kind of what you said at the beginning of why 2022 was a little bit easier to sidestep was because this is what the market indexes were doing. I mean, the market indexes were, you know, if, if nothing good happens underneath the 200 day moving average line, that's where the indexes were stuck the whole mm-hmm. time uh, of 2022. They would come up right to that index, I mean, right to that moving average, and then, uh, you know, get turned away, like almost, you know, to the penny sometimes, right. it seemed like. And quite frankly, in 22, I was actually outperforming because I was short the market for the first half of the year. And oh, then okay. once we bottomed in the summer, yeah. what did it do? It chopped around. Yeah. And basically, I just kind of gave back the profits I had made on the short side for the first half of the year. So a, a trend in either direction is profitable. You should be able to get on the trend, whether it's, it's a bear market or bull market. It's these choppy, trendless ranges that are really the hardest for anyone that you know, uses you know, trend following as part of their methodology. Yeah, you need a trend to follow. Um, absolutely. Well, hey, that's, uh, that's great stuff there. And 
Um, you know, I, I just did a, a little uh, talk with Ali uh, Quorum on Barron's Live, and it's, it's funny because we were kind of talking about similar things. Um, if you look at Enron, you look at Bear Stearns, you look at all of those, there were warning signs of weakness um, months, months in advance uh, before the scandal com comes out. And, um, you know, uh, Bill O'Neill used to have a uh, idea service that he would give to institutions. Um, and Enron came out, uh, came off their list. It was on the new stock market ideas list. And it came off like November 29th, 2000 uh, at like 76 or something like that, you know, long before the scandal happened or any of the news came out. So um, yeah, it's definitely a way to get, get ahead of the curve. Um, the technical action, absolutely. Uh, kind of, there can be a lot of these that do come back after this devastation, you know, uh, the, the, these bad breaks and everything like that. But there are those that don't. And it's, uh, as, as Arusha said, avoiding the ones that don't. I mean, that's that's worth a heck of a lot. So when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the stocks that are on Ryan's radar right now, uh, potentially setting up. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Trading Tesla. Sometimes you get the bear. Sometimes it gets you. Single stock daily leverage and inverse ETFs from Direction. Before investing, carefully consider a fund's objectives, risk, charges, and expenses contained in the prospectus at Direction.com. Read carefully. Welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, along with Arusha Pierce, who joins me every week. He's an O'Neill Global Advisors Portfolio Manager. And our special guest this week, returning back to the podcast, is Ryan Warch. He is a hedge fund manager at Warch Capital. So, Ryan, uh, let's talk about some of the stocks that you think are setting up. And it certainly has been, as you said, not the best in terms of breadth, but there are these pockets of strength. Uh, so definitely like a stock picker's market right now. But maybe we start with on holdings. And uh, uh, I, I don't know if you can do it again, but you showed us at the break that you had on you, you had on some on shoes. So <laughs> I don't I, want you to pull something, though. <laughs> I am. I am wearing them. Uh, yeah. And I am, you know, I, I use the product. And, and this is one of the things, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have read the, the Peter Lynch book, but, you know, sure. he talks about mm -hmm. observing the trends around you and. I certainly have seen that. I just went to my daughter's soccer tournament down in Virginia Beach, and I would say every middle-aged man from 35 to 55 was wearing, you know, the the on-cloud shoe, and you see, you just see them more and more everywhere you go. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, this is starting to sprout up everywhere. It's kind of like with Teslas; you just start they start exploding, right. and everyone was right. driving Teslas. Right. Right. Um, but it, it helps when you actually enjoy the product and you use it. So, you know, this is one I kind of had a little bit of conviction in. Unfortunately, I don't own it. I, I had owned it and I sold it for risk management purposes um, prior to this massive breakout I just had on earnings. Um, but it goes back to, you know, where we are in the market. The market has not been rewarding buying these breakouts. So I didn't go and chase. Um, I watch it. I'm going to I'm going to try and get a position in it as it consolidates. But listen, part of the group I, I do talk to, or I'm sure you guys probably know some of them, but Eve Bobak and Kathy Donnelly and Eric Kroll, um, oh, yeah. Dale, mm -hmm. um, I want to give them some credit because they kind of wrote the book on IPOs, and this is a recent IPO. Um, and this just potentially had a super breakaway gap from its first mature, uh, mature base out of its institutional due diligence phase. And I had been watching it because... It had this monster move up on the IPO, came back, and it's really had this really nice 
basing structure here for the majority of the year. And then lo and behold, it has earnings and it just explodes on volume. What's interesting about the volume is the volume was nine times average, but it was two times more than on the day of the IPO. That's yeah. very rare. Right. Very, very rare. Um, so yeah, so if you go and pull back a weekly, you'll be able to see it. Yeah, but, you can see that that weekly volume just yep. And we're all yeah. this is Wednesday, right? So yeah. we still have two more days. Yeah. So that just shows you just extreme strength and people are just piling into this thing. Um, it has fantastic numbers. I mean, it just put up a 90% revenue number this quarter. Um, the prior four quarters have all been strong. Um, Contra has a position in it. I mean, it's got earnings growth. It's got revenue. It's got all the metrics and the, fun, the fundamental standpoint that I like. On top of it, again, I like the product. It's a newer merchandise from an IPO recently. Um, these are, have all the characteristics left. Now, do I wish it were, you know, maybe closer to highs? Yes. But I would say because the base has formed after it formed its institutional due diligence phase, I'm confident that with the volume and price move, that this could have the potential to move up over the next, you know, few months. And I think this has a chance to outperform. So this is something I don't own, but I'm going to look at getting in a position. And the reason I, Typically, I would be buying this breakout, no doubt. I'd be buying it hand over first fist the day of, of the move. But because the market hasn't been rewarding these type of um, right. plays, I mean, Airbnb was similar to this a month ago, gapped up, went up a second day, and then erased the whole move and then some. Yeah. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to try and build a position in this as it potentially maybe forms a secondary base, a flat base, whatever it may be. Um, but that's one I, I'm, I'm watching. It's on my watch list. I will say my watch list right now, we talked about the market being narrow, is is on the smaller side. So even my watch list is very narrow. Mm -hmm. um, so the general market, just there's there's very few opportunities. This happened to be one of them. Um, so one to watch for sure. Now, did you discover this stock by observing all the middle-aged people at the soccer games? Or was it, did it come through screening in some other way? Uh, a lot of it was screening. And then once I had it on my watch list, then I started noticing it, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, I did I did own them, um, yeah. but I never, you know, the stock, quite frankly, didn't interest me for a while because it kind of was in, a, you know, it's IPO death fall here with the rest right. of the market. Right. Now, anything that had a valuation just got tomahawked. And yeah. this was one of them. And this is, this, they, Kind of market themselves as a premier shoe it's expensive i mean their, their shoes are 150 dollars yep. um and their valuation to that extent is it, it was a little rich um you know i i do lean on my my background where i you know worked as a, a financial analyst way back in my career so i do have that fundamental side to me i don't use valuation as um you know a big criteria but i i, I am aware of it and mm -hmm. that really helped last year because if you knew that you know with rates rising, what's it going to hurt the most? Anything that had a, a high valuation associated got hammered. I mean, right. I'm talking these things were down 50, 60, 70, 80% in some cases. Mm -hmm. um, and this this kind of got uh, thrown, you know, the, the baby out with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. um, but they've put up just tremendous numbers through the face of a bear market. Um, so they're clearly on to something. I think they're trending. I think people are buying them. And they even talked about inventory being sold out. Um, so it has the, you know, 
what I decide to buy is different than where I decide to buy, right? I'm looking for stocks that are fundamentally strong. They have some sort of story or product. That's what I look for first. And that is done through screening criteria. Mm-hmm. And I use MarketSmith to do a lot of that. And then where I buy is really technically inclined. So I'm looking for inflection points. Um, this just so happened had one. I'm just not in a real uh, fond mood of chasing strength right now, to say the right. least. Well, and, and what I like about, you know, kind of how you started the whole conversation, it wasn't like a, you know, you, you said that you got at, you were in it, you got out of it because of risk management rules, and now you're not getting back into it here because of rules again. And it's acknowledging that, yes, you are missing something, but sticking to your rules, you know, is, is just, I, I think, evidence of that discipline that you have to bring to the table. This is just really the frustrating part of the business, right? I mean, you, you have to stay disciplined. And I owned, I owned a, I had a good sized position in this at $21. I sold it at 20. I took my loss because it hit my threshold. That's as much as I was willing to risk at that time. Um, right. it, you know, it hit almost 30 today. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're always thinking, well, God, if I had kept it, I would have made XX amount. But you can't think that way. Like, there's going to be plenty of these to my lifetime. That's the best part about what we do. Like, every day there's an opportunity. Every year there's an opportunity. I mean, right. you're, if you even, if you miss one, there's going to be hundreds of other ones. Like I, I'm 100% confident, even if I miss this, I'm gonna. There's gonna be another big mover that I'm gonna make, lifetime changing money. That, that by far the best thing of what we do. Every day, you never know when the next opportunity is gonna present itself. And as long as you're prepared, and you take this serious, you're gonna you're gonna catch them. You know, you're gonna ride the wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it does feel like a matter of time, right? Just you know, you do it long enough, and you're gonna get. You're going to get some of those big winners, but yeah, go ahead, Arusha. Yeah, well, well, first, yeah, I mean, you're just going to see them enough that it's things are just going to kind of feel very uh, familiar. Uh, but they'll be they'll be uh, they'll they'll be slightly different to keep you on your toes for sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, what about one one of the kind of questions I've I've gotten for for stocks like this and a number of retail stocks are, hey. This stock is heavily shorted. It's only going up because it's a heavily short interest. Did you take any of that into account? I, I mean, quite frankly, I like shots stocks that are shorted because it gives them the power people have to cover. Yeah. The one yeah. thing I didn't like about this stock, it's a lower price stock. Okay. So again, for me to get any sort of size, you know, it really the, the my position sizing in it was tough because it's it's harder to get a bigger position in a lower price stock. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um that was kind of one of the knocks I, I, I had on it. You know, you, you go through the pros and cons. Uh, but yes, I like stocks that are shorted that have formed a, a basing structure because it gives it that power that they're going to have to cover. You know, again, rules have changed since when I first got to this business. You know, uh, regulation was a Fed D. When oh, that yeah, came out, pr- prior to that, Companies could talk freely to analysts and tell them right. if they were going to beat the quarter or not beat the quarter. So I think the difference now in today's day and age, you get all the information at once and mm-hmm. people have to decide, you know, if you have a big giant beat or a big miss, you're going to see it showing up. And this is why you have these massive gaps and these volumes. Right. People either go and cover or they're going to chase and buy because they want to get a position because now they're presented with new information. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's why. And I, 
if you have a stock that is heavily shorted, that's only going to add power to it. And that's probably why the volume has such a massive spike. Now, does the, the fact that this is off so much from its high, so still has overhead supply that it has to get through, and even as much as it's down, it still has a PE ratio of 94. That's, you know, over five times what the S&P is. Is that troublesome for you on the on the valuation fundamental side of uh, your, your background? Yes, for my background, but I also have to know, I have to separate that a little bit, that valuation is much more a secondary indicator to price and volume, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, would I prefer it to be not overly valued? Yes, but I've seen stocks that are overly valued go up for five years. I mean, Amazon was overly valued for 10 years. Yeah. Um, so that is much more secondary nature. Listen, valuations ultimately matter. And they did. That's right. That's what happened in last year's bear market. Valuations finally, people decided they matter. When they decide to matter, who knows, right? <laughs> right. A lot of it does have to do with interest rates and in a, in a zero percent zero interest rate environment that we were in for close to a decade, it didn't really matter. Um, and a lot can happen before it matters. <laughs> it doesn't it matters until it doesn't matter. That's really as simple as it gets. So yes, would I prefer this to be closer to highs? Yes. But I mean, look at it from a relative strength standpoint, it has a 97% rating. Um, the 50, you know, was back above the 200, the 20 was above. I mean, it was, starting to trend up the 200 was kind of flatlining you know when we go back through the other models of silicon valley bank you know the, the 200 was in a, a death spiral lower this was this is flatlining and turning up so there are there are some stark differences for sure mm -hmm. well let's go ahead and uh, switch gears a little bit from shoes to the uh ethical drugs and novo nordisk a uh, good old danish company of course this one is known for its diabetes treatments but now it's kind of getting in the news a lot because of uh, some of those treatments being used for obesity. Um, what's what's your take on the fundamentals on this and uh, and the technical action? Yeah, I mean, if they're they're basically right, the leader in diabetes and obesity ther uh, therapeutics. If, if if you've seen any commercial, the the catchy Ozempic commercials, this is what they do. Um, it's one of the fastest growing drug companies on the strength of its uh, TLP one franchises. Um, look at, look at the sales in this thing. Um, you know, it, it's not your typical, you know, super growth stock that I prefer where I like things growing at, you know, 25, 30, 50%, but this is a mm -hmm. massive company. I mean, this is one of the biggest companies out there from a market capitalization standpoint Yeah. that one of their products, uh, we go V their sales are going to more than double this year. This is an interesting, you know, I, I, presented this idea to uh, my group uh, months ago. But one of the interesting uh, things that came up in, in, in my research was that 74% of adults are classified as either obese or overweight. That's mm -hmm. staggering, staggering. So the, the, the addressable market for this is massive. It's massive. Morgan Stanley projects the market for weight loss treatments expect to reach 54 billion in 2030. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is just... And they are at the forefront of this. They're probably one of the leaders in this space. Right. Now, from a technical, the fundamentals all really line up. Um, you know, they're estimated to grow earnings 31%. Yes, would I like to see um, revenue numbers a little higher? Sure, but I'm, I'm willing to, to sidestep that for a minute because they're going to grow earnings 31% this year. It's going to slow down to 14% next year based on the estimates. 
Um, but from a technical standpoint, it's extended. So I'm not going to go out and chase it and buy it right here. Um, it is attempting to form some sort of you know flat base. It broke out to new highs yesterday. And what did it do today? Sold off with the market. So right. another one I'm watching. I love it from a fundamental perspective. I want to the technical and it, the chart structure to line up and give me a point where I have, you know, reduces my um, risk versus my return. That's what I'm kind of looking for. It's another one to keep on your, your watch list. It's in my watch list, I'm watching it. I'm being patient. I'm going to wait. Um, but from, a, like I said, from a fundamental standpoint, it really is a leader in the space that is exploding. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of people that are, are, obese in this country and around the world is is massive and they actually have a drug that is working to reduce that mm -hmm. and not only that but it's kind of one of those things that you have to keep on taking so <laughs> you know it's kind of a a, a built-in revenue stream like you know it's not just one and done type thing so and, and um, it's not cheap either yeah right uh, so, uh, speaking of things that are extended and, uh, really kind of blowing the doors off, uh, let's take a look at Arista networks, uh, ticker symbol is a net, a N E T. Uh, this just really, I mean, it had this kind of long period of, uh, of basing and when it just came out, man, it's, uh, it hasn't looked back. That's the bifurcation of this market, right? You have Arista networks that is making new highs versus you know, banks that are making new lows. Right. So it is, it's a conflicting market for sure. Um, but again, I usually start all my research from a fundamental standpoint and, you know, they label themselves as an industry leader and data-driven client to cloud networking for data centers and routing environments and campuses. Essentially in a nutshell, they help companies connect faster using these specialized switches. And what is only exploding more and more data, right? Just more mm -hmm. data with everything, especially now with AI. I mean, data is not going anywhere but up. Mm -hmm. These guys help make it faster, quicker. Um, and on top of that, look at look at their quarterly revenue numbers the last handful of years over there. I mean, 28, 31, 24, 27, 31, 49, 57, 55. I mean, this mm -hmm. is impressive, yeah. you know, for a $50 billion company. Um, but you're dead. What's even more impressive is, Look at the up-down volume ratio. Three. How often do you see that? Especially right. in a market 3. like 6, this. 3.6, actually. 3.6 yeah. now. Yeah, over three. It's fascinating. I mean, yeah. look at just, if you look at the, if you pull up the the weekly, look at the just the blue skyscrapers on this thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is super impressive. Um, that's just a wall of blue. And those, are the, those are the subtle things that we're looking for. Um, again, too extended right here and i'd be looking for a pullback to get a position or add to my position um but again this has this has everything that i look for it's got the fundamentals it's got i mean look at the relative strength it's outperforming wildly yeah and it's outperforming on people piling in on volume so mm -hmm. this is this is everything that i look for yeah it's expensive too but some of these things stay expensive for a lot longer than people expect and get just more expensive <laughs> you know the valuations continue higher and look i mean this is this has got an eps growth rate an annual growth rate of eight percent um you know a little bit lower than the 20 25 but in this market uh that's pretty gosh darn good and the earnings stability is 11 so 
the fact that the earnings were that stable for you know a tech company like this so that um, unusual that, that really yeah, is yeah, you know that, that low uh, stability yeah and, and remember that earnings stability is one to 99 the lower being more stable in this case so that's 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 remarkable what is even more unusual is that the bear market last year was hit high valuation growth stocks the most mm -hmm. and this thing is at new highs right well before the general market that's yeah. that's telling you something alone mm -hmm. there's huge power behind this thing um so I, I think that again these are the subtle things you have to pick up um but if you just run a simple relative strength scan you're gonna it's a handful of these semiconductor stocks that are just outperforming why we don't know uh in hindsight you'll you'll know it'll be very easy but i think this is one you got to keep an eye on well, and to your point, you know, kind of sticking with those relative strength leaders is a good way to kind of find stocks like this. And not only do you find stocks like this, but you avoid the SVBs, the signature banks, the Enrons, the all, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, you know, the, the relative strength really does tell you something. And that's why we we always go for that leader versus laggard. Um, Ryan, uh, it was really great having you on the show. Thanks. Thanks a lot for coming back. For people that want to follow you, um, Twitter, Twitter is maybe the best uh, at Warch, Warch Capital. Yep. So uh, W-O-R-C-H uh, Capital. Uh, wonderful. And uh, yeah, so thanks, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll be we'll be looking forward to uh, seeing you again. Thanks, thanks again for the ideas and the and the thoughts. Great guys, thanks for having me. It's always fun. Okay, and uh, that'll do it for us this week. And uh, next week, I'm going to be on vacation. I'm going to be on the beautiful island of Oahu. Uh, my daughter is looking at going to the University of Hawaii, so we'll be taking a tour. It's also her 18th birthday, so uh, going to be wishing her a happy birthday. And I'm going to be on a plane on my way back to you, Arusha, on, on Wednesday when we normally tape. But never fear, Scott St. Clair is here. Uh, the patron saint of stocks. He will be uh, taking my place as a guest host, so he'll be keeping uh, Arusha in line. Someone's got to. And uh, yeah, so hope you guys enjoy yourselves next week. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.